Well, good morning. But uh, you know, God is good. You know, I'd like to ask you to please take your Bibles that you bring to church with you every week. You know, every Bible should be read, shouldn't it? Not R E D, but R E A D. <laughs> Somebody said that to me one time. I went and bought a red Bible. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Have you noticed that we live in a uh, corrupt world? I mean, there's, there's all kinds of crazy things happening in our world today, isn't there? And, you know, you get, you get up in the morning and you watch the news and you wish you hadn't either got up or turned the TV on one or the other. But uh, uh, there's all kinds of crazy things happening. We live in a very difficult time. You know, as uh, the Three Circles evangelism class we had says, we live in a broken world. And our world is broken. And there's all kinds of sin that uh, seems to permeate and pervade this land. Well, I think what's true today was true back in Paul's day also. If you were to look at the 24th verse of chapter 1 of Romans, you'll find that as we read through this, that there, there is a list of all kinds of evils that go on. And, and what is fascinating about this, as we read through this with all kinds of sexual deviancies and all kinds of uh, a catalog of lists of, 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 of different vices that people have, we read this and then we go right into chapter 2. And then the Apostle Paul talks about not judging people. So let's, let's look at this today. Uh, you know, chapters 1, 2, and 3, if you can grasp chapters 1, 2, and 3, uh, you will find out why Paul writes this wonderful letter to Romans. Because as you go through this, you, you will see that, that uh, he includes, he includes the, the, uh, the Gentiles in their sin. He includes the, the moralists and their sins. He includes the Jews and their sins. And then when you get into chapter 7, he says of himself, he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this bondage of sin? He includes himself. And, and the great summary of this book is Romans 3.23. For all of us have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Folks, what we were going to read today does not exclude us. It includes us because we've all, we all come from a fallen, lost, depraved, violent, evil nature. That's all of us. Let's look at this. Romans 1, beginning at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. 
for their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And then listen to this verse 32. He says, and although... Listen, although they know the ordinance of God, they know the commands of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Let's pray. Lord, what a catalog of sin. Yet, Lord, as we read through this list, Father, in many of those, we see ourselves, what we used to be without Christ. Lord, that was us. Many of those things that Paul mentions, Father, and and more. Lord, that was us. Father, as we look at this message today, Lord, cause us not to be shallow or judgmental toward others. But, Father, that uh, we are in the heart business. Father, help us to speak with others with the heart of Christ. Lord, your word says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Lord, let that attitude of Christ be in us. Lord, let us be loving, not judgmental. Let us be uplifting and not shallow. Let us with precision share the good news of Jesus with those whom you give us opportunity to speak to. We thank you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for Hazelwood Baptist Church. Thank you for its people. Thank you for their diligence to learn and to do and to serve in Christ's name. Amen. So last week I spoke about the certainty of God's having, God having a attribute of wrath. But in this morning's message, uh, I want to further elaborate the matter of God's wrath. So as we look at verse 34, we read these words. Some of the most horrifying words in all the Bible. I want you to think of this. Verse 34 says, God gave them over. God gave them over. What what worse words could you think of when, when you yourselves think of people who are without Christ in their life? Can, can that debauchery be so great? Can their lustful minds and hearts and the intent of the heart be so bad that God would say, I'm done with you. I'm going to give you over to the very lusts of your heart. 
has given up on you. Matthew Henry states in his commentary that, that God has removed from them, and this is his quote, the bridle of his restraining grace. If you were to picture a horse with a bridle on it, that bridle serves as a, as a purpose of directing, steering the course, giving direction to that horse so that he, he or she stays on course. You want the horse to be on course, don't you? Well, what happens then? If there is no bridle, guess what that horse is going to do? Whatever it wants to do. It's going to go in any direction it wants to go. It's like a ship without a rudder. It's like a ship without a helmsman. It goes wherever the wind blows it. And who knows which way the wind is going to blow it. It rolls with the sea. The horse unrestrained goes wherever it wants to go. Matthew Henry says that, that these people, that God has removed from them the bridle of his grace. It is God's grace that gives direction to us. Have you ever thought in your own life that there are things that you would have done that God had prevented you some way? That you were, gonna, you were ready to do some stupid thing. And God changed your course. God changed things. God's providence over, overruled your own selfish will. Well, that's happened to me. I had purpose to do this, and God sent me in another direction. Even, even the Apostle Paul says, I was going to do this, but God sent me here. God, in his judgment upon them, had left them to their own destructive ways. A person to whom God has, has, has removed his hand now becomes subject to all the idolatrous and demonic influences that surround this world. Suppose you were to go to your doctor and you had whatever illness you had, some sickness, some disease. You'd gone to your doctor and, and he looks at you and he says, listen, I have got some medication for you. I'm going to write you out this prescription and this will help you. This will add longevity to your life. This will give quality to your life. And he writes out this prescription and, and signs some, Ill, some uh, illegible name to it that only the pharmacist can understand. He writes his, or she writes her name there and gives you this piece of paper. And this piece of paper is the key for you to live. You take that paper and you walk it over to the pharmacist and you give it to the pharmacist and they fill the prescription out and they give you this bottle of medication. Take this once a day. Every day, take this once a day. But guess what? You take it home. You take that bottle home and you set it in a cabinet. And there it sits. Day after day, week after week, and month after month, and not one pill is touched. Not one. You soon discover that your life has now become terminal. There is nothing, you, you've reached stage, <clears throat> excuse me, you've reached stage four, whatever illness you have. There's no hope. 
would you blame the doctor? Here's your cure. Take this every day. Here's your cure. Take this every day. But some of us set it down, and there it sets day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year, and then you wonder why your life is terminal. The greatest of all evils is for a person to be given over to his or her own, her, her own lust and evil intents. And to this point, the prophet Jeremiah writes these words. He says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Then he says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10. I will give to each person whatever burns with lust in your heart. I will just let you have that. I have removed my bridle of grace. Live the life you want. And then you hear these words. God gave them over. In verse 24 of our text, it says, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts. This means that they would now lack any sense to make a determination of a matter with any spiritual discernment whatsoever. In, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, listen, listen to what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. I have a pastor friend, and he's, he talks to me about his mom. And for weeks upon weeks, his, his mom's been laid up, and she's been unable to walk. He's, she's, she's been bedridden for weeks already. And, she, and she's been laying in bed. Now they want her to get up and walk. Folks, let me tell you something. When, when you take a perfectly good leg and keep it from moving for day after day and week after week and month after month and keep that leg from moving, from being exercised, from walking, from anything, guess what happens? Atrophy sets in, doesn't it? You can't do anything with it. You stand up and you will fall. You take a perfectly good arm and you tie it to your side so that you cannot use it for day after day or week after week and month after month and year after year and after a while that arm becomes useless. You take a Christian who ties himself to the world 
And day after day, and week after week, and month after month, and year after year, what happens to them? The mind atrophies. The heart becomes hardened and stale. You take a lost person who refuses to acknowledge God in his or her heart. And day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year, after a while God says, I'm done with you. That heart will never, ever turn to Christ. When the heart is hardened toward God and reaches the point where God has given that person over to their own lust, then all that is left for God's judgment to occur in the matter of their eternal state is what? Death. When God has so decreed this order, then this person who has entered the very path to the torments of hell will realize the, the great error that they've made. Excuse me. <clears throat> God, in fact, God, in fact, has abandoned that person to total and absolute immortality in hell. You know, there, there's, a, there's a new thought. Not a new thought. It's been around a while. But there's a thought in theology. And, and it's, it, it's, it's taken, taken hold today in, in many circles. And that is that there it really is a heaven. And those who believe in Christ will go to heaven. Because they put their trust in Jesus Christ. Well, we would all agree with that. But there's another thought out there. That, that same person say, you know what? It's too severe to believe that there's a hell. So yes, God will take you to heaven. But on the other side of the coin, God will not send you to hell. But when you die, there's total annihilation. You cease to exist in any framework whatsoever. Well, let me ask you, is that true? Is that what the Bible teaches? That we just, when, when we die, we die, we just turn, we just decompose? We, we, we add to the topsoil of the earth? Is that all that happens? There is a place called hell. Jesus teaches and preaches more about hell than he does heaven in the New Testament. In verse 26, we read, God gave them over to degrading passions. That is, he gave them over to passions that would bring, that would bring dishonor. Actually, we would better understand verse 26 when it's coupled with verse 27. Look at this. He says, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving of their own persons the due penalty of their error. So that what is considered here is that these people in reference here in these verses had abandoned God's divinely constituted order as it pertained to marriage and sexual behavior. That before there was the law of Moses, before God had instituted any laws whatsoever, God had created this universe, God had created this world, and in this world which he created, he established a 
the person called a male and a person called a female. And he united them together in what we call today marriage. One man, one woman, not 700 wives like one king did. Not 700 of them. Lord, the Lord knows that one is all we need. You know, St. Peter says that we should deal with our wives in an understanding way. Gentlemen, if you understand everything that is about your wife, would you please see me? <laughs> but God had ordained marriage and sexual behavior. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. In Genesis 1.18, God's word says, God says, the word in the Hebrew is Elohim, God. It is not good. By the way, the word Elohim is a masculine plural noun. It's not just God singular, it's God plural. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Just in case you're wondering, it's a reference to the Trinity. Genesis 1.18, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for, suitable, listen, suitable for him. And then, if you look at Genesis chapter 2, and verses 21 and 22, it says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Folks, you do not need to be a, a, a uh, rocket surgeon to figure this out. Out of the order of creation, God then placed man and woman together in union with one another to become one flesh. The man, Adam, and the woman, Eve, were by God's ordained order and plan placed, put, and joined together in a marital relationship. Then we read in Genesis 1.24, for this reason... Man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, male and female, one flesh. There's not 37 genders out there. There's two. There's X and there's Y. Two. In verses 28 to 32, Paul goes on to list a catalog of vices that go beyond that which is addressed in verses 26 and 27. A whole bunch of them. We're going to look at that later. But in verse 28, it says again, God gave them, the third time, God gave them over to a depraved mind. So here Paul is speaking of a mind that God considers worthless. When he's talking about a depraved mind, he says, this mind is worthless. Talk about a mind in a gutter. Just don't include, just don't include that the sexual behaviors of a person. 
that is opposed to the Word of God. Don't, there's others. You know, sometimes, folks, we get caught up, in, 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 and I mentioned this earlier, some, we, we get caught up and we have this, this tunnel vision, and, and we look at deviancy only in the sexual sense of it. Well, there's more to It's like we used to have a pastor search committee. You know what? I want to, don't share this with anybody. Deacons and search committee people have a problem. Because when we are looking for a pastor or we're looking for a deacon, what is the one thing we look at? Have you been married and divorced? How many wives have you had? Well, you know, I'm not saying that that's not valid. But you know what, folks? There's a whole bunch of other stuff to look at. A whole bunch of other stuff. And the same thing is true here. There's a whole bunch of other stuff to look at. You just can't use that as the litmus test and say, well, this is it. You know, there are other things to look at. There's a whole catalog of things to look at. Why do we limit it to one thing? Well, the mind that is depraved is a mind that God says is worthless. So in verses 24 through 27, the apostle Paul is dealing with the abandonment of God for the apostate The apostate has a desire of the flesh. And they've abandoned, they've abandoned their knowledge of God. So these verses are speaking of those who practice such sexual behavior. And he's listing that. He lists a sexual behavior that that is that opposes the creator, the the, the creator order that God has for, for, for human sexuality. God says, listen, it's okay for men and women. Husband and wife, gentlemen, ladies, it's okay for husbands and wives to be together. It is not okay for any other sexual relationship apart from that. Whatever. Husbands and wives, that is the created order that God gave Let's just not look at one sin. Look at all of it. One time I was told that I asked when I first became a Christian 3,000 years ago. I asked somebody, I says, I says what, was, what was the forbidden fruit in the garden? And the guy says, you don't know? Nobody told me. He said, sex. Anything but that. What do you mean? But then it dawned on me, how do you get to be fruitful and multiply? God said, be fruitful and multiply. 
I mean, how do you do that? If that's the great sin. It's not a sin in a marital relationship, is it? But it is anytime and anywhere else. It is wrong. It should not be looked at in the church as going, oh, yeah. Such, they're such good kids. They're just sowing their wild oats. Folks, you know what happens when you sow wild oats? You've got to harvest them someday. God gave them over to a depraved mind. Let's go back to Genesis. And let's, let's read Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Husband and wife. So verse 28 and verse 28, we find that that God has not only confined his judgment upon unnatural sexual behavior, because that's what's listed there, is unnatural sexual behavior. But also we find a listing of vices that also fall under the judgment of God. And folks, let's look at all of it. Don't just point a finger at one person and say, oh, you do this. And hold some sign up and say, oh, you do this. But look at yourself. This listing also be, needs to be seen as God gave them over. And here's, and here's the list. It is those sins mentioned in verses 29 through 31 that come under the category of those who do not consider God worthy enough to have in their knowledge. These are the same type of sins. So here we have a catalog of sins which depict what a reprobate mind will produce in a person's life. These sins, this is what This is what a mind turned against God, a rebellious mind. This is what it produces. And this is the kind of mind that we see on TV. When you see all this looting and burning and destruction and people killing people and hurting people. This is what you see. It is the product of a reprobate mind. It's not just one class of people. It's people in general. We're hurting one another. We're killing one another. We should be loving and respecting one another. Looking at other people with respect and dignity and honor. Every person made in the image of God is worthy of respect and honor. Everybody. Let's not point the fingers all you, but what about them? Them and me. So, this listing I'm going to read for you, it, it, it is not limited only to specific sins because uh, that list can be expanded and I'll share with you a little, little bit later what they are. But let's look at them. Verses two, these, are, these are the people that have a reprobate mind that God gave them over. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, 
strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Now, does that include anybody here? Does any of those sins include any? Well, I tell you what, I think I'm in there a few times. Do you know where you came from? You came from this list. Every one of us came from this list. God looked at us, and before he turned us over, God did a work in our lives. Not that we were worth anything ourselves, but because God loved us. And God did a work in our lives, and that old, stale, dirty heart of ours, God cleaned. He regenerated, and He poured His life into you. Not because we deserve it, not because we're pretty, not because we're affluent, or not because we're poor, not because we're male or female, or white or black, or red or yellow or purple. God did it because God had set His love upon you from before the foundation of this world. This is the list that we came from. I'll I'll share that more with you in just a moment. I want to come to the final verse and spend some time here. In, In our text for today, in verse 32, let me read the verse first. It says, although... They knew the ordinance of God, and those that practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. There are two phrases in there that, you, that need to grab you. And here they are. It says, they knew, they know the ordinance of God, and are, they are worthy of death. If you know God's commands, if you know what God wants, and you don't do it, guess what? You're worthy of death. Oh, it's, it's wrong to shoot somebody. It's wrong to rob somebody. It's wrong to hit somebody. It's wrong to call someone a name. It's wrong to shame somebody. And when I do that, the consequence of that is The Bible says, you are worthy of death. Boy, I'm in a bad way here. So are you. We were people worthy of death, weren't we? When we abandon God's laws, we're worthy of death. But In what manner should we interpret the word death? If you mean death that we're going to die, well, I guess it means all of us because unless Jesus comes back real soon, we're all going to die. Today, tomorrow, next day, next year, next decade, you know, within 100 years, probably all of us will be gone. (laughs) We're going to die. You know, you know what the sure indicator of death is? If you're conceived, you're going to die. 
That's one death to one person. He's not talking about physical death. I don't want to dismiss that. We, we, but that's not, what, that, that's, that's not what the death they're talking about here. It is the eternal state which follows death that is to be understood. What is going to happen to you and me after we die? You know that everybody that dies, everybody that dies instantaneously becomes a believer. But it'll be too late for a whole bunch of people. Because after death, what does Paul say? After death comes what? Judgment. It's too late then. Say, I made a mistake. No, God says, you had your opportunity. You're done. The bottom line is this. Those who practice these things do so even though they possess the knowledge of God's judgment. They practice these evils and at the same time they encourage others to do the same. That's why we have people, millions of people, who are in protest about one thing or another. And we encourage others to do this. Not just protest holding a sign, but your heart is in protest toward God. I want to close with this thought. We're going to spend some time here. And so don't think I'm closing. We're ready to stop. You know, when the pastor says we're going to close, there's still 15 minutes left. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, Jesus is preaching the great sermon, okay? The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching. Matthew 5, 3, Jesus states in his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So then, here's the question. Two questions, actually. Who are the poor in spirit, and what has that got to do with Romans chapter 1? Well, everything, everything. It is those who know that they are morally and spiritually bankrupt. Do you know that when, we, when God fashioned us, he gave us a mind and will and emotions. And the Bible says that we are dead in our, in our trespasses and sins. So if we're dead, how come my mind, will, and emotions are still operating if I'm dead? Well, let me, tell you, let me just tell you what the Bible says. Even though we have a mind, will, and emotions, and yes, they're active. If you're without Jesus Christ, do you know, you know what your influence is in your mind, will, and emotions? Your mind, will, and emotions are, are influenced by a depraved nature. Now, how do we know that? Because we read in Ephesians chapter 2, you could read this yourself, chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. You could read this for yourself that... That person, all of us, all of us, before we became a Christian, we were, under, we were under the influence, under the control of the prince of the power of the air. The word air, A-E-R, in the Greek, A-E-R, means the atmosphere. That Satan's domain is the, is the atmosphere around this world. That he is the prince. That, that is his turf. The atmosphere that surrounds this globe that we call earth. In the book of Job, God says, 
to Satan, where have you come from? He said, I've been running to and fro on the earth looking for someone. Just like Peter says, sees like, the, like a lion looking for someone to devour. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Satan wants to destroy your life. So your mind, will, and your emotions are influenced by a depraved nature, which is, which is influenced by the prince of the power of the air. So everything that you do, everything that you do in this life, apart from being in Christ, is done so without any way of blessing God in any way, shape, or form. You can do all the kind and good things and courteous things that you want to do, but in no way does that influence God. So don't say, I'm going to weigh my good against my bad, because as far as God's concerned, it's all bad. When we, are, when we realize that we are broken as Jesus, we're poor in spirit. When you come to, when you today, if you come to the realization that you are broken, and your, your life is broken, your world is broken, that your heart is broken, that you are morally and spiritually bankrupt, you have absolutely nothing to offer God, and you realize that you have nothing to offer God, folks, I've got good news for you, that's exactly where you need to be. That's exactly where you need to be. Because as long as pride is running loose in your heart, you're finished. You're, you're dead meat. When you realize that you're bankrupt morally and spiritually, you have nothing in yourself to offer to God. It is that heart. It is that heart that's broken and contrite. It is that heart, it's that person who've come to the knowledge that the only person who can deliver them out of their sinful bondage is Jesus Christ. I don't care what your sexual behavior is. I don't care what vice you hold. Folks, this includes everybody in here. This list, this list, I don't think that there's a person one in here can say, oh, I don't, none of that is me. I've just read you that list. Is there anybody here who says, well, that's not me. I want to meet you. If none of these are you, then I've met the next perfect person besides Jesus Christ. Well, we're not done. It is that person who turns to Christ to whom Paul speaks of in, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Listen to this. I will, I will close with this. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, remember I said that that list in Romans 1 is not, is not exhaustive? Well, here's some more. Here's some more. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at, beginning at, uh, at, uh, at verse, verse 9, Paul writes, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, listen to that. He says, and such were some of you. 
That's why I've told you when I first came here, if you knew everything there was to know about me, you would, want, you would not want me to be your pastor. And I said to you, don't get so uppity, because if I knew everything there was to know about you, I wouldn't want you to be my church. Verse 11, such were some of you, but listen to this, but, one of the most beautiful words in all the Bibles, when, when, when you go through a list of all this evil, all this evil, and this is us, that, that man, that we stink spiritually, we stink, and then God's word says, but, oh man, listen, I, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that, but. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Now, folks, if that doesn't resonate hope within you, I don't know what will, because all of us stink. Thank goodness that there's aftershave. I put on every Sunday because I says. You're looking at dead meat. But I've been washed. I've been sanctified. I've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, you ought to to be getting excited. (laughs) When you look at people, offer them this hope. You can be washed. You can be sanctified. You can be justified. Let me share with you. Let me give you a prescription. Let me give you a prescription. And you take this every day. And let it resonate in your heart. Don't abandon the knowledge of God. Folks, I I, I plagiarized something here today. As I was doing my devotions this morning, I I have two books I read that go back to the 1600s and 1700s. Because I love to read Puritan stuff. Not everything they did was great, but they did a lot of great things. But there was a prayer there, and I, I, I took the liberty to, to make this more modern English. So I'll, I'll, let me read it to you. This is a prayer from a Puritan. Lord, I am a lost and fallen creature by nature and by countless sins beyond number, which I confess to you this day. I have lived without you. I have been both both without sense and in ignorance. But you have made it known to my heart how much in misery I live and have shown me the remedy that is mine in Jesus Christ, to whom I now fully surrender my heart, my soul, and my mind. Is that a prayer that you would pray? Now, I've changed some of those words in there. I I did. I added some. I I take some away. But is that a prayer that you would pray? I surrender to, the, to you, Lord, my heart and my soul and my mind. Amen. 